You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Hi, Lord, thanks for your goodness and your loving kindness. And, um, Lord, we all are kind of stirred and distracted and pulled in a lot of directions. And we come to you and we recognize that you are the good God who sits upon your throne. We recognize the gospel of the Lord Christ, that you have come, defeated sin and death, and you have risen. And you are the, the redeemer of the world. And so we, um, we come before you today uh, with that in mind. Pray that you would send your Holy Spirit. Uh, pray that we would see and hear from Christ himself through his word. And pray, God, that you would uh, do a work in our hearts, that we would um, love and worship and desire to glorify you more and more. Uh, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so this is the final of uh, three series class um, about uh, hope, hope and tragedy, um, hope and suffering. And um, the, the the basis of this is, if, if you are um, not familiar, I am... Um, uh, my wife and I had our oldest child pass away about four and a half years ago, and um, and I've recently had a book released talking about how um, I've uh, how God gave me hope um, through His truth and through the gospel uh, in that time. And so that that book is called Therefore I Have Hope: Twelve Truths That Comfort, Sustain, and Redeem in Tragedy. Um, the text for today is going to be from Second um, Corinthians chapter five, verses three through eleven. Um, if you do not have this, uh, Trey, um, our faithful volunteer, is handing them out. And, um, and normally with a text, I really like it when I can kind of go through a text in a linear fashion. But this one I'm just going to pull from all over the place. But um, this is, a, a, this is uh, Paul's second letter that we have to the Corinthians. Um, and... Uh, he is writing to them in this context about uh, how you know how he is trying to comfort and support them in, in their suffering and their tragedy. So, um, so Second Corinthians chapter five verses three. Sorry, this is not chapter five. This is chapter one. My bad. This is Second Corinthians chapter one verses three through eleven. Sorry. Okay. So praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we may comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the mercies of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patience, patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer." And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our suffering, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happens that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. 
on him we have set our hope that that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. That's the word of the Lord. Um, all right, so the title of this today is going to be Misery Becomes Ministry. How Your Misery Becomes Your Ministry. Uh, I'm going to refer to that a lot, misery becoming a ministry. Um, and I'd like to start out um, talking about... Um, how exceptionally annoying um, Keynote is. No. Um, I want to start out by talking... This is driving me crazy. Um, all right, we're just not going to be able to do it all fancy today. Talking about uh, a woman named Nancy Guthrie. Nancy's actually uh, wrote the foreword uh, for, our, for this book. Um, but she and her uh, husband David have a, pretty, pretty, a very, very sad but also very redemptive story. Some of you may be familiar with it. But um, Nancy and her husband, they um, had a healthy son. And then uh, a few years later, they became pregnant. Uh, their daughter, Hope, was born. And they found out very soon that Hope had a rare genetic condition called Zellwinger syndrome, um, where she would not live more than six months. Uh, so they knew that from the beginning. Um, and they had this um, sweet but very, very sad uh, six months. And then Hope died. And so they had a genetic test done to discover whether or not uh, you know, what were the chances of this happening again? They found that they had a 25% chance that if they were to have another child, that this child would have Zellwinger syndrome. So, you know, as Nancy and David said, uh, you know, they were not the only ones involved here. And they had a, a son who had to watch his sister die, who had to suffer through that. And so they decided and prayed that um, the wise uh, thing to do was to have, uh, to have surgery where, um, you know, they would not have any more kids. And so there's like a one in a thousand chance that if you have that surgery, that, you know, it will not be effective. Well, they were like the one in a thousand. Okay. Keep in mind, uh, keep in mind, there was only a one in four chance that this next child would have Zellwinger syndrome. They hit the lotto and they were the one in four. And so they had a son named Gabe, um, who was also born with Zellwinger syndrome. And Gabe also lived about six months and died. So um, you can imagine, um, you can imagine just, you would almost feel like God was intentionally being cruel to you, right? You feel like God was out to get you. Um, but, uh, you know, Nancy and David, their uh, misery uh, became their ministry. Um, that's, uh, that's a picture of Nancy, and there are two children, Gabe and Hope. Um, Nancy, um, Nancy, first off, she wrote a book called Holding On to Hope. Uh, which was the first, probably the first book I read after Cameron died, um, and it is uh, it's about it's it's, it's an uh, exposition of the of how Job uh, found hope in the midst of losing lots of children and losing everything and sickness, uh, and it's uh, you know and it's it's particularly poignant for people um, who have lost children, but uh, but it's honestly it's accessible and hopeful to anybody. Um, on top of that, Nancy and David, um, after a number of years, they started hosting retreats for other couples who've lost children. They call them respite retreats. They do them uh, three times a year. Lauren and I went on a respite retreat about uh, 10 months after Cam died. It was very helpful. I called it Collective Misery Weekend because um, I have never in my life been around so much collective pain. It was so intense. Uh, but it was also extremely helpful for the people uh, on the retreat. And, uh, and so they have had hundreds of people who've gone to these retreats. 
Um, they've made other, Nancy's also developed other grief resources. She's written uh, dozens of books and she speaks a lot. Um, and, you know, she has uh, given glory to Jesus. She's given hope to a lot of people um, through, um, through her misery. Her misery has become her ministry. Um, and so today we're going to talk about how, what a hopeful thing that, that concept is for a person um, who's, who's suffering and in tragedy. Um, this, um, this is the chart we're going to look at. You, uh, you, uh, and, and, and basically, I love graphic organizers. I'm, I'm cool like that. Um, and uh, yeah, so this chart um, basically looks at how when, you know, we, the, the, the little dotted line kind of constitutes being on mostly solid ground. And so when suffering or difficulty or tragedy comes into our life, we kind of get knocked down, right? We get taken down into the valley, down into the darkness. Um, and there you see at the bottom of the chart, that's suffering you. <laughs> that's the, the, the suffering version of you. Um, but then God, you know, as we trust in him and through his redemption, he brings us back to solid ground. Uh, and once we get on solid ground, well, then God works through us to reach out to other people who are not on solid ground. Um, and who need to be redeemed and brought to solid ground. And so there is this process. And so you're going to see that's a lot of what Paul is talking about here. And so the, this talk, um, we're going to break it into two parts. The first is, um, is going to be broken into the misery part, our misery, our suffering. Um, the second part will be uh, our ministry. And so the first part, will be, we're going to look at verses 3 and 4 in particular. The first part will kind of be based on verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. So that, uh, talking about our affliction, our misery, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in, in, who are in any affliction. There, there is our ministry. Okay, so first... Um, our misery. So in this, uh, the foundation of our misery becoming our ministry is trusting Jesus to comfort and heal us. So we see first off the situation, verse 8, um, Paul says, I don't want you to be uninformed about what happened to us in Asia Minor. Um, and, uh, you know, we, he says that they experienced burden such that they despaired in life itself. Uh, the way we kind of translate that is to say, like, we wanted to be dead. We were so miserable that we wanted to die. We don't know specifically what's going on in um, what's going on in Asia Minor with Paul, um, but we can make some good guesses. Uh, first off, we know a story from Acts 19, story where um, Paul is in Asia Minor, and uh, the uh, the you know spread of Christianity is uh, taking a toll on some of the industries that that were involved in. Um, involved in physically making pagan idols. <laughs> there was a guy named Demetrius, and he says, "Hey, uh, Christianity is threatening our prosperity." And uh, you know, they're they're saying that these gods that we make, uh, that they're worthless, that they're powerless, and that uh, we, you know that people don't need to to bow down to these idols. They don't need these idols, and that's cutting into our profits. That could that could potentially diminish our revenue. And so he says, we need to resist these people. Um, so we know in this one story in Acts 19 that, that there was uh, a lot of uh, resistance um, against the Christians. We also know from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that, um, that their life was in jeopardy. They, their life was threatened. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15:32, if I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? No, that's the wrong quote, sorry. 
Um, <laughs> bad on cut and paste there. Uh, who cares? Uh, he basically says we thought we were going to die all the time. That's effectively what he says in, in, in 1 Corinthians 15. So we know that the nature, the specific nature of the suffering that Paul was experiencing was religious persecution. That's what's going on. And he knows that the church in Corinth um, is going through the same thing. And so we see um, uh, that, that Paul, the way that they were able to be redeemed and restored from this is by trusting in Christ. Paul says in verse 9, he says, But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. And so we see that you know, Paul sees you know, God's constructive purposes in his suffering and in his difficulty in that, um, you know, that it forced them to not rely on themselves, but to trust Christ. And it was trusting in Christ that enabled them to get back on solid ground. Uh, now, something interesting here, you know, how is it that he was able to trust Christ in his suffering? Well, in one, we can see the character of God. He, he talks about God being the father of mercies. He said God is the uh, he's the God of all comfort. And so if you get into the Greek, the Greek, this is a genitive of origination. What that says to us is all comfort originates in or has its source in God himself. And so with that being said, he knows that God is merciful. He knows that God is a God of comfort. And so he's able to trust him. He also says that he's God. He raises the dead. He remembers the, the resurrection of Christ and remembers that God's redeemer. Okay, So that's part of it. He trusts in the character of God. But here's another thing is that he's able to trust God because of Jesus and his sufferings. He says in verse 5, for, we, for just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ. So what is it that Paul is going through uh, or has gone through? He was persecuted religiously. Well, what, what's the story of Jesus' life? Religious persecution. So he is saying that we are sharing in a common experience with Jesus. And so a, a primary factor in his ability to trust God is knowing that God has gone through the same thing in the person of Jesus. So they have a shared experience. And so as a product of that, he knows that Jesus is empathetic to his suffering. And so there's a trust factor there. Um, Hebrews chapter 4 talks about the um, talks about the empathy of Christ. Hebrews 4, 15 through 16. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So what you're seeing here is that because God is a suffering God, because God lived as a human being in the person of Jesus, because God uh, suffered in every way, he can empathize and understand with what we're going through. And in that way, Jesus has his credentials. Credentials, okay, that's a word I'm going to use a lot. But basically, our suffering gives us credentials to minister to other people. If you're a person who is not, um, not experienced a miscarriage, you're going to have a tough time ministering to people who have had miscarriages. It's not to say it's impossible. We, uh, you can minister to anyone with, with God's word and with the hope of the gospel. But if you're a person who has gone through that, 
you have special credentials that give you credibility in listening to and caring for and encouraging people because you've gone through the same thing. You know what it's like. You have a shared common experience, so you have credentials. You have credentials. And so we're seeing here that Paul, in him being restored by God, being comforted by the Lord, well, the thing that uh, is at the center of the comfort is that he can trust Jesus because Jesus has the credentials. Jesus was religiously persecuted to the point that he was killed. Okay, And so that, for me, was at the heart of my ability to trust God. Um, after my son died, I, I um, write about this in the empathy chapter of my book. Um, and I just want to kind of read this one section. Okay, so basically, well, I'll just read it. So um, with the confirmation of our tragic reality, I decided that Lauren and I needed to announce our sorrowful news publicly through Facebook. Interestingly, at the core of my November 12, 2013 Facebook announcement stood the empathy of God. This is what I posted on Facebook. We are profoundly and devastatingly sad and will grieve the loss of our sweet boy for the rest of our lives. But we can live with hope, peace, and gratitude knowing that the promises of the gospel are true and knowing that Christ indeed is risen from the dead. Our God lost his son, and so have we. God's son was raised from the dead, and so was ours. All thanks be to Christ. Our precious boy knew Jesus and is with him now. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God remains good. Foundational to my hope stood the realization that my God lost a son too. He was in our fraternity. A bereaved father once bitterly and reasonably asked a clergyman who had come to visit him after his son's passing, where was your God when my son died? The priest replied, I would imagine the same place he was when his son died. So with that being said... um, you know, Jesus has these credentials. Uh, I don't know if anyone here has ever um, gone on a White House tour. I have not. Um, but I, have, I know a couple of people who've worked in the White House. And um, I've actually been called by the federal government on an interview for someone who was, uh, you know, being interviewed for one of those positions. And uh, let me tell you, I mean, the questions they ask are thorough. I mean, <laughs> very very thorough. Um, they, yeah, they're thinking of every single angle. Um, it's not as thorough, but to, to be able to visit the White House, like you have, you will be inspected by the by the, the Secret Service. Um, they'll do a full, thorough background check. And and you know, so what we're talking about here, if you're going to go into the White House, is you're going into. Um, I, I don't mean this in a uh, you know in a bad way, but like a sacred place. You're going into a place that is uh, very secure, very sensitive, very important. And they want to make sure that you are trustworthy. They want to make sure that you're trustworthy to go into a place um, that's very, very delicate, very secure. Um, and so they basically make sure that you have the credentials for entry. Well, the same thing is true when we're talking about a person's pain, talking about a person's tragedy or their suffering. That is a sacred, very special place. I know uh, um, a, a professor at Beeson Divinity School, he preaches here a lot. We talked about how much do we talk about our son's death. He says, I, I try not to talk about it too much because that is a sacred topic for me. That's a sacred place, and I don't want it to become trivialized. And so, um, so with that being said, no matter what your pain may be, um, that is a sacred place. That is a sensitive place. You're not, especially when, right when you're in it, 
You're not just going to let anybody into that. You're not going to throw your pearls among swine. Um, and so with that being said, the, the kind of people you're going to allow to come into that sacred space are people who have credentials. They're people who you know they have gone through what you've gone through, um, especially hopeful if they've come out on the other side. You see that they've been restored. And so with that being said, you know, um, the, the first thing in this, our misery, the place where we get to solid ground, where we can actually, God can turn our misery into a ministry, is we have to trust the Lord to take us there. We have to rely on the comfort of God. And we can rely on the comfort of God because he is a safe person. He has the credentials. Because of the incarnation of Jesus, he's experienced everything we can imagine. I mean, think about all the bad things that Jesus experienced. And on top of that, do you ever think that on the cross, Jesus experiences every kind of sin? He takes on every kind of sin in the world on the cross. So Jesus actually knows what it is like to, to feel like a, uh, a pedophile, to feel like a pedophile or a rapist or a murderer. He knows the experience of that because he personally experienced the fallout of that sin on the cross. Isn't that awful? Isn't that awful? But it's a comfort to know that Jesus has experienced the full spectrum of human suffering. Furthermore, God as a father, God as a father, as a parent, he also you know, with us as children, like he feels our pain. Uh, teenagers, like it is true. As a parents, feel your pain twice as much as you do. Like if you get you get broken up, that you have some mean boy break up with you, or you get cut from uh, you know the college you wanted to go to, or you are struggling in some way, you're depressed, whatever it is. Like I promise you, your parents are feeling it more intensely than you are. Okay, and so the same is true with God as a as a heavenly parent um, that He feels our pain. So with all that being said, um, He has credentials. Okay, so that's our misery. Um, now to our ministry. Um, one thing to notice here is that um, Paul talks about the having this like shared experience with the people in the church of Corinth who are suffering. He says, if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance in the same sufferings we suffer. So he is saying, hey, look, what you're going through, like we, we have experienced it too. Like we have the credentials. We were religiously persecuted. You are being religiously persecuted. Like, hey, we get it. We understand it. Um, and so, um, and so, you know, with that being said, like, uh, we all kind of know this. So, you, you know, everyone has their story. Everyone has the dark chapter of their life. And like, there is like an insider knowledge that you only have if you've gone through it. You know, I mean, like, I, I didn't know, like, what holidays represented for people who had lost children until I lost a child. Like, uh, I didn't know, like, how all these little benchmarks of like people in his, you know, the kids that are his age going to kindergarten or the kids at his age, you know, going through these different experiences that you feel that years later of like, oh, my child is not there, right? Uh, and then too, like for us uniquely having lost a child in his sleep, like oh, we, I would never have known like how horribly that affects your sleep, like in the, you know, in the wake of that. Uh, we were um, so blessed by, uh, people in this church, um, one of whom was 
I don't want to put too much spotlight on her, but Lauren Pearson slept like next to Mary Matthews the night after Cam died, knowing that we were not going to be able to sleep um, because we were just in crazy land. You know, I mean, we're sitting here thinking like, oh my goodness, Mary Matthews, we're going to have to sit over her and see if she's breathing the whole time, right? So anyhow, uh, so Lauren slept on the floor next to Mary Matthews so that we could take some Benadryl and go to sleep. Um, and we had night nurses who people provided for us who, who, who just sat awake in her room for a few weeks until the like initial post-traumatic stress wore off that we were able to kind of more reasonably go to sleep. But, but so like we have, sorry, Lauren. So we have, um, so like in particular, certainly like we have a ministry to people who've lost children, but even deeper than that, uh, we have a cl- even closer ministry to people who've lost children in their sleep. I have, you know, a friend in Memphis who their daughter died at 11 months in their sleep. And we're able to talk about that anxiety of like worrying about your other children. And like, you know, that first year, like every time, every night you go and check on them, you're just like totally expecting that they're dead. I know that's so morbid. I know that's so sorry. But if you're a person who's in that, to have another person say to you like, oh yeah, that's what I experienced, it makes you feel less isolated. It makes you feel like you're not crazy, you know? And also I can say, look, I sleep fine now. Like, I don't, I don't worry about that. That's not, that's not something that pops up for me. Like the Lord has, you know, has, has brought me to this place. And so, um, and so with that being said, um, I'm on solid ground. Um, mostly, sorry, mostly solid ground. There's no point. I think one thing that can be, uh, deceptive or misleading in this talk is like, oh, you get to a place where that is totally in the rearview mirror and you're totally fine. And at that point, you know, then you're freed up to minister to people. You're never going to get to that point for, for most of the stuff, most of the really difficult stuff that people go through, right? There's always that limp you're going to have. There's always that wound. Um, but, but anyhow, so with that being said, um, a, couple of, a couple of points to, to, to make here from this text about this ministry. First, um, you have to rely on God to get you to a point of solid ground. The reason I say this is, is and I experienced this myself uh, in the first year after Cam died, there is a temptation to become a cause person. I don't mean that too, um, I don't want to say that too critically, but basically you can tell there are people who are not on solid ground, they've not healed, they've really not healed sufficiently, and yet they take whatever their tragedy is and they want to immediately, you know, make a cause out of it. Um, and they're, in a sense, what's happening is the cause becomes an idol. The cause becomes the thing that they're hoping will heal them. I can remember uh, doing the talks here at the church, which... Praise the Lord, I think God did some good things through that, and I'm okay that I did those talks. But after that, I got asked to speak about a month later, and I was like all over it. And I did it, and I like felt miserable. Like I was not ready for it. I was not ready for it, and I could tell that there was something going on in me that was thinking like, if I can do enough good things, then this will feel worth it, you know? Or like, if, uh, or just kind of using it as a way to escape from the reality of just like how sad and how dark um, the situation was. And so I kind of had to realize that I was starting to make like talking about the gospel in light of Cam's death into an idol. And uh, I was not on solid ground. And so I just stopped. I stopped talking about it for about a year and a half. Um, and definitely was not going to be like publishing a book, uh, you know, any, anytime, anytime soon, uh, even though I started kind of working on that pretty soon. But, but the point is, you notice in the text that when uh, Paul is talking about, um, you know, despairing to the point of death, he's talking about it in the past tense. Like, he is, he's able to say, like, the God has comforted us in our affliction. He has restored us. 
and we're now on mostly solid ground. So a first point is um, we have to uh, take the time, allow God to heal us before our misery can become our ministry. We can't just jump right into it. There's too much of a risk of turning it into an idol. Um, and there's also too much of a risk of, of being a person who gives bad advice because you're not in a sound place. I've seen this. I, I, I know of one particular example where I can tell uh, that this person, they mean well and what they're saying is good, but I can tell that they are still extremely angry in what they have to say. And it undermines their credibility, undermines their, mess, under, undermines their message. They're not on solid ground, and you can, everyone can tell. Um, and so that's, that's something important. A second thing is that um, it requires vulnerability. Uh, for your ministry to become, for your misery to become your ministry, um, it, it, it will, it requires uh, ultimately some vulnerability. It is not a necessary, like let's say that you're a person and um, infertility, uh, infertility or miscarriages or, um, you know, uh, unemployment, whatever, whatever your thing is. Um, let's say that that, that is, that is your place of misery. Um, to go in to like to minister to people and to tell your story, uh, that's difficult. You know, it's hard to tear off scabs. Um, and, and yet, um, Paul here is very, very honest. He says, "I do not want you to be uninformed. Like I want you to know what we went through. I want you to know that we were so miserable that we would have we thought we were going to die, and we quite honestly would have preferred to be dead." Okay, that's some serious vulnerability. Now, obviously, when we're talking about vulnerability, and especially if it's like a deep trauma that you've experienced, you have to be really wise in how you go about that. You have to be a good steward of your heart. You have to care and be compassionate to yourself. Um, but in order to um, in order to minister, it is going to require um, kind of opening up uh, some of your history, opening up some of your baggage, and dealing with and 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 and, and talking about it. So. It is costly in that way, um, and when you're in solid ground, uh, laying you know laying your broken glass out there is really a, a blessing to other people. Uh, one the point that Mark Upton makes, he's a pastor in Charlotte, he really introduced me to the gospel of grace. Um, he always talks about how do we know all of these stories of the failures of the disciples of Jesus? Like how do we know that they were the Keystone Cops? Like how do we know that Peter uh, just blew it so many times. Like, where do we learn? How did we get that information? That's because Peter told Mark. It's because they were open about their their failures. They were open about, you know, uh, their disappointments. And so uh, vulnerability is just a natural part of this. Number three, three third, third kind of point here under uh, our ministry, it is, it is God who works through us. Um, and so that's a comfort. That's a comfort because the thing is, is like, if you know we you know reach out to and try to minister to people um, out of our story, out of our misery, um, that we can feel like we always have that feeling of like I've got to redeem this person, I've got to be the Messiah. And here's the thing, Paul says, uh, you know, he talks about who, God who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we may comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. And so you can see in our little chart here, my graphic organizer. Um, that, you know, the arrow of God reaching to this another person down here, um, that that arrow is going from God to that person, but it's just going through us. We just become that the vehicle that God uses us. So 
as we seek to um, turn our, uh, our, our ministry, or as we wait on the Lord to turn our misery into our ministry, we can just remember that if we just showing up for a person and sharing with them, it's actually God who's going to be the person to redeem them. It's God the one is going to be the one to take them to mostly solid ground. So what time is it? So we're in such good shape. This is so rare for me. All right. <laughs> Hallelujah. Okay. So last thing I want to say here is um, I want to talk about two different vehicles, two different ways um, that our misery becomes our ministry. Um, the first is people, some people have a formal ministry, like out of their story. Um, example of that, a uh, really neat family that goes to our church. Um, that is Carolyn Reed in the center. Always has the coolest glasses, if you know Carolyn. And uh, to the left is her son, Scott. And so Carolyn's husband, um, Mr. Reed, he, he died of uh, cancer. And so um, she and her sons, they started a foundation um, that uh, seeks to help people uh, who have gastrointestinal types of cancer, um, and it supports research. And so they have, they they have a formal ministry. You know, it is out of the misery of her losing her husband and Randy and Scott um, losing their dad uh, that they have this special ministry to people who are either seeking to um, make advances in, in 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 cancer research or people who are suffering with cancer. So they have a formal ministry. Um, uh, another another example uh, would be um, someone in this room, Clay Wilson, who lost his dad when he was young. And so when I've had students who have lost a parent, um, particularly boys who lose their dad, I will call Clay and I'll ask advice on how I should minister to them and help them. So Clay, out of his you know misery as a child, is able to help me relate to and understand these guys. And he's also willing to get together with them um, they're open to it. So that's another example of, you know, in a formal kind of way, uh, directly ministering out of your minis- misery to your ministry, to, out of your misery for the sake of ministry. Okay, so those are formal examples. One other example, um, the Jones family, um, Laurie and Mr. Jones, I can't remember. What? Frank, there you go. They lost a son um, and they, uh, many years ago, but they've been a part of our grief recovery support group here at the church for a long, long time. So out of their you know, son's death, uh, they kind of use what they have learned about grief um, and grief recovery uh, to minister to people in our church who experience losses. So that, that's like direct formal ministry that flows out of your story. But here's the thing that's really, that's really hopeful, is there just aren't that many people um, necessarily where that's their thing, right? I mean, not everybody needs to start a foundation. Not everybody needs to, you know, be a leader in a, in a ministry at the church or whatever. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's, not, that's not necessarily, I'd say that's probably a smaller percentage of people that God calls to do this. Here's the thing that's really encouraging. I think it's really encouraging is people who are just an emblem of the resurrection. People who just by virtue of the fact that they've gone through something and they have been restored and they live a normal life, like that right there is a huge ministry. Good example of that uh, is this couple that Lauren and I know and adore, um, Angel and Hunter Finch. Um, they had a son named Lawson. Um, and I, when I was in my early 20s, I went to a church in town, the Red Mountain Presbyterian, where they go. And I was, you know, just a naive 23-year-old um, 
going to church and they had this, um, they had trouble with infertility. They had uh, this uh, sweet little boy who was born with Down syndrome. And they were just thrilled. They were just so, so thrilled. And the church loved this little boy, um, Lawson. And, uh, you know, there weren't a ton of, it was a young church. There weren't a ton of babies running around. And so, you know, this was, he was kind of iconic in the church. He, a lot of children who are born with Down syndrome, they'll have uh, some issues with their heart. He went in for a routine surgery and he just died in surgery. And I can remember, first off, I didn't know them. Like I had never talked to them at church or anything, but I can just remember being rocked. Like, oh my gosh, almost like things like that really happen. I mean, it was stunning for me. And, but anyhow, like the church rallied behind them and um, they were like, continued going to church. And you could tell they were really, really, really sad. Um, that was very obvious. Um, but then for like years, uh, I would just like see them around town. They ended up having four more children, triplets, and then another child. Um, and uh, another sort of misery. No, just kidding. Um, no, but, um, but anyhow, I can remember seeing them around town and just being like, oh my gosh, they're like normal people. You know, they're normal. And this is before I had lost a child. And I was just like, they're normal people. Holy cow. They don't look totally miserable. Like they look, they look okay, right? They're at the urban cookhouse at the summit. Um, and so, uh, and so, so then, um, after Cam died, um, we're sitting there in the receiving line at the funeral and I could see them in the line. I'd never talked to him, didn't know him at all. I could just see them in the line and they never made it, they never made it up to us, but I could just see them. And what they, what I learned that week, and they told us was that when their son died, someone came to their son's funeral. Um, someone came to their son's funeral and said, "Hey, you don't know me, but I have a son who died, you know, several years ago, and I just want you to see me. I want you to see me that I'm alive and I'm okay, and one day you'll be okay too." So there's no, there's no formal ministry. There's no foundation, no website, no blog articles, no book. But just by virtue of the fact that they trusted Jesus and allowed Jesus to restore them, they were a very tangible evidence of the healing power of God. They were a very tangible, concrete example uh, of the resurrection of Jesus. They were a symbol of hope just by allowing uh, Jesus to heal them. And so I would say, you know, for me, uh, let's say, um, let's say that I'd not written a book or done, you know, done a class like this. Uh, so if I could just sit here and tell you today that I am so excited about the upcoming Champions League season, I'm so excited about the Premier League season, this is soccer. Um, I'm really excited about my job. Really like my job. Fired up about the year. Excited about Bible studies starting. Um, I like my wife. Um, uh, I, I, uh, oh, I, I love my wife. I really like my wife, too. That's more of a compliment, right? Um, like my wife. I like my, really, I, I, I like my kids. They, they, are, they do wear me out, but I, I love my kids. And they're really fun. Like, I have a normal life. Like, you know, that's a normal life. And if I could have heard somebody say that to me on the second week of November 2013, just say, oh, yeah, I lost a child four and a half years ago. But let me tell you, I'm so excited about football season and I really like my job and my marriage is good and raising kids is fun. Like that would have knocked me over. It would have knocked me flat. And so the encouragement I say for you is um, if, if, for one, if you're in darkness, there is something really hopeful and redemptive that there will be a day 
when, when you can really be an emblem of hope for people. That's, that's uh, the, to know that your misery is not meaningless, that it can be very, very redemptive, that you can be a major instrument of God's comfort to others. Like that is very, very hopeful. Um, and two, uh, you don't have to be a rock star. You don't have to be a rock star for that to be true. Really, all you need to do is, is allow Jesus to heal you. Allow Jesus to redeem your life. And then you carry the resurrection of Jesus wherever you go as a healed person. And that, and, and, and it is all through the grace of God. Um, so that's all I have. Uh, does anyone have any questions? Comments? Letters to the editor. Words to your mother. No? Okay. I'll pray for us. Thank you. Uh, Jesus, thanks so much for um, that you're a healer and redeemer. We thank you so much that you've tasted all the suffering that we taste um, and that you have credentials, God, that we can trust you, um, that you empathize with us. And Lord, um, for those of us who are not on solid ground, who have really been chopped and knocked down and are suffering and struggling, we just we pray, God, uh, that you would bless these people um, with the comfort that they need, um, with the grace and the hope that they need. And Lord, um, give us wisdom on where our story and where our past misery, um, where it can be a ministry for others. Lord, give us wisdom on how we approach that. Um, let us not do that out of our flesh. Let us not do that um, out of idolatry, but, but only as um, your spirit, the spirit of God leads us. We trust you in these things. Ask your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.